Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So a few years ago, a film came out called Kiss the Ground, and Woody Harrelson produced it. And it was basically about the importance of soil in the fight to stabilize our planet. And there's this new film directed and produced by the same team as Kiss the Ground. It's got some pretty big Hollywood names involved. It's called Common Ground. I was lucky enough to get a special screening of it. And let me tell you, it's very powerful film. Just really, really knocked me out, made me think, taught me a whole bunch of stuff that I had no idea about having to do with soil and farming and food and the environment, et cetera. I really recommend it. My guest today is Ian Summerhalder, who was one of the producers on the film. So if you're someone who is environmentally minded and looking for ways to weather this moment in our planet's history, so to speak, you're going to enjoy this episode. So I am glad you're here. Lean in. Hey, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. Thanks for... uh... Thanks for doing this. Congratulations on this. These are these are cool, man. This is like um, this is a cool thing to be a worthy thing to be spending time on, you know. Yeah, I, I, it's been it's been great. Um, to you know, everybody and their mother has a podcast, and it's been really really fun to to, you know, connect with people, but also to see the things that they're interested in, and you know, it's. It's often really, really in, inspiring, and 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 also I think that people are are you know getting a kick or or oftentimes being you know moved or or touched by some of the stories that they've they've heard. But you know, you were just talking about y- your roots, and I, I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, you grew up in Louisiana, right? Yeah, deep, 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 right outside of New Orleans. And and you were saying that your your dad was of Cajun descent. So my grandfather was born here. A great grandfather was born here in 1747. So mm. wow. I think his parents had already been here for like 20 years. So I think they got here in like the 1720s, man. Wow, long time ago. And all Louisiana. Um, you know, my grandmother was born in 1906. She didn't speak English until 1930. So she was 24 <laughs> wow. years old. Amazing. And, and yeah. yeah, so people don't realize like in until until like the 40s, uh, you could live in the United States, Louisiana in particular, and never have to speak English. Mm. It's so funny. It was just looking up my grandmother's. So my birthday just passed on the 8th. And my grandmother was on the seventh. Um, you know, my last birthday, whatever, three days ago, was forty-five. And I, I called my mom and I said, "Happy, happy birthday!" Because 
This is the day you gave birth to me. But I'm now on the other side. I'm, I'm technically closer to 50 than I am to 40. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and at that point, that sound like, you know, this is like a morbid thought. This is just, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. So you're, you're, you're more than halfway through this, like whatever we consider a life cycle. But what's crazy is because of our health situation in this country, um, food, medicine, healthcare, uh, lifestyle, all that stuff, mm-hmm. the United States, and, and don't quote me on this data. I typically have so much data here in front of me. We are the only developed nation in the world where life expectancy is declining. Hmm. Interesting. But I always offer up this, and I learned this 12, 13 years ago. If you look at the planet, right, you look at trees, um, you look at water systems. If Hmm. you look at them, there's a reason that they're carbon copies, right? They're coral in the ocean that look identical like a lung. If If you take a pine tree, an oak tree, turn it on its side, it literally looks like a lung. Um, so if you would imagine just for a second, like taking a step back, that the earth is the same biological process as us. We're not any different. The, the, those river systems, I mean, uh, those forests are basically our lungs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those river systems and oceans are those cardiovascular systems carrying all the vital nutrients and organ, uh, nutrients to the organism. So, so if you think about it, once you dam and pollute all the waterways, you then the, then the organism can't get all those vital nutrients. If you cut and destroy all the forests, that organism can't breathe and recycle. So effectively, we you know when you put it in those terms, people start really looking. They go, "Oh my gosh!" And then you go to the soil. Well, the microbiome of the soil, the health of that depends on the health of the soil and what grows out of it. The same way, the if you think about it from a health perspective, the human body. The health of the human being is directly related to the health of the gut microbiome. It's the same, right? Without a healthy gut microbiome, there's no healthy human. And without a healthy soil microbiome, there is no healthy soil. So, you know, we keep forgetting that what we do to the earth, we do to ourselves. And that's why going back to what you were just asking, diving into, I want to know who, where I came from, whom I came from. And when I go back to my roots, like way, way, way back, both on my mother's side and my father's side, they were farmers. Mm-hmm. They were long, long lines, lineage of farmers. That is who I am in my blood. Maybe even and before they got to this country. Most likely in the 40s, my grandfather was an agricultural inventor. Um, he was the first guy to introduce um, in Mississippi, like 1940. The idea was taking the manure from all of his cattle, cows, chickens, um, hogs, everything. He built a press that took, dried it out, took the manure and pressed it into these little cups where he would then germinate all of his seeds. And that's how he, he germinated all of his seeds to plant. So, you know, we've all seen those. I wish he would have patented those. Uh, we would probably have been a very different family. Um, anyway, the long and the short of it is, People always say, like, how and why is this like you're, you know, you left acting. You literally walked away from well, Hollywood. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about first why it is that you got into it. Because I'm guessing that probably you were at least in the minority of people in your family who, who, who found, a, 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 at, least, at least initially, a life in, in the theater. So what was it, do you think, that pushed you in that direction? Since I was a kid, man. Um, since I was a little kid and I hear this, you know, I'm sure it was the same for you and a lot of people I talked to, it was just in me from the beginning, you know? Um, and I started doing local theater when I was six or seven and it was my mom that brought me to all the auditions and read everything with me in the car and singing and helping me through it. And then, and we were, we had a very intimate relationship with the poverty line. <laughs> so we didn't, mm-hmm. you know, like I wanted to just play the sax. Uh, we couldn't afford a saxophone. I wanted to play the trumpet, couldn't afford. So we were going to school and it wasn't like, it was disappointing, but my mom was so great at explaining things. We had such a great, um, you know, we were just so tight. Brothers and sisters. And, but yeah, one brother, one sister, they're mm-hmm. uh, seven and eight years older than me. And it was my mom's foresight that when she, it's like that, um, uh, it's like, you know, it's so funny, man. I, 
I'm a huge Malcolm Gladwell fan. And I know that when, when outliers came, all came out, <clears throat> when outliers came out, we all read this book and we looked at society and we realized, oh my gosh, he broke it down in such a beautiful way. But in all mm -hmm. of our lives, we have those outlier moments that allowed us to get to whatever we got to do, right? And my mom uh, received, she worked at a state hospital, a mental hospital, <clears throat> but she wanted to be a massage therapist and do acupressure and aromatherapy stuff. She couldn't get out of that rut. She got laid off and the state gave her a severance check. I think it was $10,000. And no one in my family had ever seen that amount of money in one piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy, dude. You know what she spent every single dollar of that on? And in a borrowing money from my Aunt Nancy on top of it was to send me to modeling and acting classes in New Orleans when I was 10 years old. Mm. Every dime of that, plus some, went into me getting a contract uh, with Ford for three years when I was 10. Well, were, there ever, these, were like, there ever moments when you thought, uh, this is something, I'm not sure I want to do this. This is something that you want to do for me. No, but I loved it. You loved I was it. already, loved it. Okay. I was already doing theater and stuff, you know, like the head of like the young theater department at school and going to all these local playhouses and not getting the roles, um, for the most part, the ones at school. So I think they had to, they had, mm -hmm. they had to, you had to have like a level of participation, <clears throat> but it was that moment. She came to me and she goes, look, I have a, I have a deal. I have a proposition for you. You know, we don't have a lot, but I can give you this opportunity if you really want it, but you got to want it. This is, she literally said that she's like, this is not for me. And I went, absolutely no way. Get me in. And so she would schlep me back and forth from, you know, the North shore to, uh, to new Orleans. Mm-hmm every week so i could train and train and train and then there was a model scout you know a lot of it's like people did get a lot of, people did find contracts out of it but it was a huge big money grab for these people they made a lot of cash this podcast is sponsored by ramp are you the decision maker in your company consider this for the first time in decades there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, 
would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when I was 10, we, I got this contract with Ford because I went to this big convention and model convention and um, like a talent convention. Ford and, modeling, right? Not Ford Motors. Yep. In yeah, Hil- Hilton Head, South Carolina, dude, in 1990, if you can mm-hmm. believe that. Um, and I got this contract. And so we would, she would take some, you know, she would take off work and we'd go to New York for the summers. And, uh, and that's how I started working, you know, and doing Ralph Lauren and Gap and all these cool things. So you're 10 years old from the Bayes, Louisiana. All of a sudden you're thrust huh. into, you know, these huge sets with art directors and photographers and, you know, all these just super cool people. And by the way, this is 1990, right? So like everyone is, you know, it was a very different time. People are in these studios. They're, uh, you know, they have big mood layer uh, mood boards laid out and everyone's around tables and they're smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. Mm. And the, the, the French are like, you know, pouring Bordeaux at noon. And, you know, we're sitting there eating like steaks and lobster and shit and, you know, at lunch on this job. And I looked at, I remember looking at my mom once she goes, this isn't so bad as a kiddo. And I said, not at all, mom. <laughs> this is pretty, <laughs> this is pretty awesome. Uh-huh. And so I, and so anyway, that was three years of that. I went home for two years back to Louisiana and did normal stuff, played football and sports and rode my horses and, you know, did stuff. And then at 15, I realized like, wow, this is not exactly what I want to be doing. Mom, mm-hmm. I want to get back to doing what I was doing. I think this is like where I want to be. So again, we did another convention <laughs> on my 16th birthday. Mm. And then that was it. I met agents and uh, three days, three days later or five days later, get a call that they'd taken a bunch of Polaroids from me. And then this photographer, Stephen Mizell. So if you remember Stephen Mizell in the Mm nineties was the biggest photographer, fashion photographer in the world. It was like Stephen, you know, Bruce Weber, Annie Leibovitz, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple of Richard Avedon, like those guys are still around. So anyway, Two days after that, I was on a plane. So one week after my 15, 16th birthday, um, it's December 15th, I think, um, I land in New York City to shoot like they, Stephen Mizell booked me for like 12 pages of, at the time, the Womo Vogue, which at the time was the biggest men's magazine in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was it. And you know what's crazy is, because it was just the, the 60th anniversary or 50th anniversary of CBGBs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they were gonna do it at the store because because it's a John Bravetta store now. I was gonna go for that, um, but they put it into the Grammy Museum. I went to CBGB's that night. <laughs> um, I was you know I was a week out of having like my emancipation uh, paperwork done. And um, anyway, so that's like that started. And imagine you're 16, you're you're one week over 16. You fly to New York City, you land, um, drop your stuff at the hotel. And, you know, the other people you're shooting with like, hey, come down to the lobby. Um, we're going to this place, CBGB's. Cool. Let's go listen to some music. You walk in and it's like, Patti Smith is there and Debbie Harry are there. And, you know, you're just like, what the hell is going on? Amazing. And so that was Amazing. my that was my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And then you uh, obviously the you were doing sounds like you were doing a lot of modeling as well as having the roots in the active. But then that pretty quickly turned into uh you know an acting career with television yeah. and and movies and you know we are was thinking about you know connections we have the uh connect i mean i know that our paths have crossed in the past but we we have the yeah. kevin williamson connection um and uh that guy changed my life for sure man how long were you on that show on on yeah. vampire diaries 
We did eight years. <clears throat> eight years in what was the town? Atlanta. Atlanta, right, right. Yep. Right. Were you were you mostly right in the center of Atlanta, or did you? There was a. I feel like I feel like I was recently in in a small town, shooting something, and they they it was almost like a va like a Vampire Diaries museum sort of thing. I mean, is there a town? Covington. That, yeah, Covington, Covington, Georgia. That's it, Covington, Georgia. I was down there making a movie, and living in Covington, and it's it's like they they practically have like statues in the town square you know, for, for vampire it's, diaries. They call it Coveywood. And it's a, uh, that was the, the fictional town of Mystic Falls, Virginia was Covington, mm -hmm. Georgia. And right. it's wild because I was born in Covington, Louisiana. Yeah. Right. And that then I weird. Uh -huh. Now I'm in Covington, Georgia. And obviously, you know, when you first start shooting a show, you think, oh man, this thing's probably going to go five years and cut to eight years later. But people in Covington, the police, the friends, the business owners is we're all so tight. Um, it now, the Covington, you know, if you go back and you look at the Chamber of Commerce numbers, Vampire Diaries brings $116 million a year to that town. Still? Yeah. Oh, wow. Every year. Wow. That's how much, you know, because the show has been seen by over a billion people now. So at that time, point is just a numbers game, right? You figure... One in eight people in the country, I mean, the world have seen, interface, understand, or know, or have heard of this IP. Um, and so it's just a testament to the power of story and, and how story can bring us together and shared experience, right? That's what bonding is. And that's it's actually the reason, you know, Paul and I actually built this brand, Brothers Bond, over that same ethos, which is... This is about bringing people together. And I think you can argue right now, actually not argue right now, we need togetherness more than ever. <laughs> sure do. Yeah. And so and so, whether it's um, sitting, sharing a, a, a dram of whiskey or your health and wellness journey or your meditation group, whatever it may be, we need that connection. And what Paul and I, you know, I might not be the smartest guy in the room, but I'll, I'll try and outwork everyone in there. And I realize, like, I might not be the smartest guy in the room. I don't even have a college degree. But the one thing I realized I could do was leverage entertainment value to create quantifiable change in the world, right? Whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And we've, the data don't lie. You know what I mean? We've shown that in, in a couple different instances. Um, there are definitely some use cases for it. And um, it's been, un, you know, it's unbelievable. As you know, these like, how long were you guys on the following? Uh, we were only on the following for three years. Uh, three years. And and uh, that's the longest that I've ever uh, done a show. Uh, the last series I had was three three years as well. Um, you know, it's it, uh, I got sort of secondhand knowledge of this eight-year cycle from Kira because she was on the, on the closer for closer. eight years. Yeah. And that was, you know, it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing to watch from afar. I mean, up until that point, I, I often used to say that, and this just shows how different, uh, how things have changed so much in terms of, you know, what we call television. I used to say that if, if my agent called me and, and told me that they had a series for me, I would fire my agent because there was such a division between being a movie star and, and being on television. It was like something you would never, ever, ever do. That's all gone completely. You know, I mean, just it's it's dissolved into this other world yeah. that we have. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated. I mean, you 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 have uh, the 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 brown liquor and uh, and, and yeah, it's man. incredibly successful. And you also just do so much uh uh sort of ch charitable not i mean charity is, is not even the right word i mean it's more um awareness and very very hard work on all kinds of things having to do with Thanks, food and, and the environment i mean i watched this movie uh common ground that you have oh you saw the film yeah it's, it's spectacular i mean it's spectacular Thanks, um but you know i guess my my question is is that you're you're not really doing too much acting right now am i right it's mostly producing and and doing other kind of stuff? I, you know, man, I walked away from acting. Uh, the last time I was on film, 
I can tell you, was October, sorry, August 19th, 2019. Okay, so this is what I want to know about because... <laughs> I know the day. I, I mean, that's, that's when I that's, walked that's away That's my wife's birthday, thing. by the way, August 19th. Yeah, you you as you walked away on Kira Cedric's birthday. You know, I, I, so I would say that... Which, by the way, was one of my biggest crushes ever. I used to watch singles over and over <laughs> and over again. And obviously, uh, you know, we, we've had the same publicist for, you know, Anique Mueller has been with me. We've been, I've been with her for eight, 19, almost 19 years. So it's like, I've always, we've always been in the same sort of like ether. Right. And she's such a special, you guys are such a, what an inspiration uh, you are to a lot of people. You guys have really. Thank you. It's, yeah, like, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. She's, she's a, she's a lot of fun to hang out with. Um, but you know, you, you the, the, there's not that many people. Uh, people will leave the film business the, of acting. I'm, I'm mostly talking about acting. Yeah. Because they retired because they get old. People will leave because they just don't have any money. A lot of people leave mysteriously because of, you know, drugs or alcohol or, or scandal or getting cancer. There's a million ways to leave, but there's very few young actors who are willing to just stop and say, I don't want to, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I'm, I, I, I'd like you to just kind of, and, and I can tell you that at the point, well, first of all, I don't think I'm ever going to stop. Uh, it's just, I, I know that it's just too, it, it's too much. I'm too, I'm too wrapped up in it in terms of my own uh, ego. My own sense of self-worth is, is so, so completely tied to uh, being a, a performer and being. But you're in also spotlight. Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I know, but still, you're also one of the most well-known <laughs> actors in the world, period, ever. So but like, I'm just wondering what that... that was. Like, how 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 did that how did that feel? And 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 do you ever do you ever miss it, or or, or are you completely satisfied and 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 happy doing what you're doing? I loved what I did. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of success in films and that I did not like you did. I, my success came from television. Um, there were some life changing moments on film, like doing life as a house when Hayden Christensen was a baby and I was a baby. And, uh, you know, um, Kevin, Kevin was just, Kevin Klein was obviously just, you know, he's just one of the greatest he's like you, you just, you watch him, you believe every second of this man. Anyway, I had a couple really great film experiences, but TV was the bulk of that success. And I think what I realized was, um, it came as no surprise to anyone in my inner circle, um, except my management team. <laughs> 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 that that's was a like big... it's like the con that's a definition of a spit take when they uh <laughs> they're just sitting there drinking their coffee and they get the call from you yeah. you know <laughs> and but i you know i had i had i in that time when i had completely stopped they convinced me to put myself on tape for two things um that were just absolutely mind-blowing one was the uh dope sick that won mm -hmm. the thing with michael keaton which is amazing. And then there was another one, Jessica Chastain. And like, look, we know you don't want to do this. Just do it. You're too good in this. Just make it happen. So I did it. And it was all very close. And But the roles were, they needed to scan a, big, a little older and different. So it was all fine. But I've never felt more uh, at peace with a decision ever. Cool. But it's scary, man. Because when you walk away, and I have a wife and children and when you walk away from the only thing you've ever known that supports your life. Mm -hmm. And also too, you know, I'd gone through a really wild financial mishap, um, which is during Vampire Diaries, I was using all the money I was making to finance and build companies, mm -hmm. right? That was, and so being an entrepreneur versus being on a successful, being an actor on a successful television show is very different. And I used a lot of that cash to finance a company that should have been worth a fortune that I owned a third of. 
um, at the time we had the most powerful LED light system in the world, right? And we were saving lives in the oil patch because of our safety mechanisms and all sorts of cool stuff. Only to find out that our biggest customer was stealing from us like to the tunes of like millions. Mm. The CEO wow. was embezzling. It's that old famous story. Young actor person gets into a business they don't necessarily know mm. and they just get hosed. Mm -hmm. The big problem was I had made personal guarantees on all of the loans, which is so stupid. What are you thinking? You know, you're like, you're in your early 30s. You feel like you're invincible, um, super idealistic. You know, you've got this. And then one day um, you find all this stuff out as you're transitioning out of a television show, a successful one where you should be retiring on that fateful day, I get a phone call. Hey, are you sitting down by any chance um, from my team, mm -hmm. from my lawyers? Um, when you literally get that phone call, hey, I know you're wrapping one of the biggest TV shows in the world, but I just want you to know um, you're in an eight-figure hole wow. that you're going to have to get out of. And uh, my wife is, is really a gangster and spent 18 months negotiating us out of this, mm -hmm. uh, figuring out how to do it. But it was, I mean, obviously life changing, right? Oh, yeah. Throws you upside down. Yeah. And so you pivot. And I would have never been able to do that without her. It's her genius and tenacity and finesse that, that allowed us to do it. But I had to rebuild on top of walking away from the one thing I knew. So it was bizarre, but I've never felt better. And I think what when you step away from acting, what it does is <clears throat> it gives you the clarity um, to focus on what's real, um, which is your family, your children, your health. Because I lost my health, you know, going through this. And I looked at my wife and I just said, <clears throat> she said, is this something you really want to do? I'll support you in every way you need. Um, and I left. That's I left the, the entertainment business to build my companies, raise my kids, um, and launch these films, which there's three of them. And I want to talk about the films, but I also you know. simultaneously want to bring on Mia Vons, who is the CEO and founder of Good Neighbor Gardens. Hi, Mia. Good to see you. Thanks. Thank for, you so much, Kevin. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Hi, Mia. Um, it's my honor. It's my privilege. Really. Thank you so much for this blessing. Hey, you know, um, First off, uh, well, Ian, you're you're living on a farm. Is that correct? You live on a farm now. Or we are. We're in we're in the city right now. We're actually. I'm gonna go back out there in just a little while. I was so knocked out by uh, by the film. Um, Thanks, it's, man. It's really it's simultaneously um, for those of you that haven't seen it. It's 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 a little bit hard to to pitch. It's a, it's a lot about uh, food. It's a lot about soil. It's a lot about farming. It's a lot about, um, uh, you know, uh, chemical companies. It's got conspiracies. It's got the government. I mean, it's, you said, so Common Ground is the one that I watch and it's part of a, it's, it's part of a, 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 a trilogy. Is that right? There's three of them. Okay. So what's the first one called? It's called Kiss the Ground. Kiss the Ground. I got to go and back by the and way, watch it. That, that's on Netflix. You can find that Right. So easily. I don't know. Woody Harrelson narrates it for us. So it's like mm -hmm. that great melodic, you know, it's like. Yeah, he's got a great voice, Woody. Yeah. It's it's such a great voice. Like guys like um, Woody Harrelson or McConaughey, like you could just listen to those guys all day long. And so we're really grateful that Woody did that. And Mia, much to, you know, what the, the amazing work that Mia's been doing, Kiss the Ground was the beginning of this. And I, and I think, you know, Mia, like, remember like, when we all saw that film cut together, it changed, it changed, it changes your life, right? You can't unsee yeah. it. So Kiss the Ground and Common Ground, Kiss the Ground was the promise of regeneration. Common Ground is why it happened and how we can get out of it. Ground Swell is going to be the international version and why and how it can spread globally and the economic value of it. So Mia, for those of us that don't uh, know uh, th this this term, um, can you please describe to us what regenerative farming is? I mean, in a, in a, in a nutshell. 
so to speak. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, um, there's not one one definition of regeneration in my mind and in my spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, what the the utilitarian use of the word is that we are doing what we can to benefit the earth in our practices here on the earth. Okay. Okay. Instead of taking away from the earth, depleting the earth, you know, I mean, I have to borrow from my own African roots in that, you know, in the Western world, you're taught that the earth is yours, you know, and that you're the master of it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in African cultures, you're taught that the, you're the earth's, you know? Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, not to get caught up in the language, but to understand, like Ian was saying in the beginning, you know, your composition is so much like the composition of the earth. And that's what I teach the children in the schools, you know, that you are a living organism. So it's a plant, so it's a bug. And then I ask them, what else? And they say a tree, you know, mm-hmm. and you need five things to thrive and not just survive. You know, you need water, you need air sunlight nutrients and you got to have love in order to really thrive right and so does a plant plant needs that too the Mm -hmm. soil the soil needs that you know and so regeneration is really about for me it's about teaching the next generation so that we have the opportunity for sustainability Mm -hmm. to truly give back to the earth to become engaged with the earth to understand it to start to identify with it in such a way that you're motivated to develop a conscious relationship with it that's really for me what regeneration is about and you know if you put if you pick up a handful of soil there's more living microbes more living organisms in that handful of soil than all the human beings that were born on the face of the earth and i don't think they're completely unrelated Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's and it's my it's my passion. It's my developed. It's my cultivated passion to make sure that that I get that out there. Okay, so mm-hmm. now there, that I want to know um, before we get into the details of the work that you're doing. I want to know what it is that you think drew you to this. Have this as a passion, right? Some people are passionate about music. Some people are passionate about acting or 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 politics or whatever it is. Yeah. What, what was the connection to the earth? Do you think in in your life or your childhood or your upbringing that, that gave well, this you know that's a great question. Some things are known and some things are unknown, right? Because my mother would say, "Do you really think you lead your own life, honey?" <laughs> mm, mm, you know, and mm. so little did I know. Um, that I have a history, like Ian was saying, his family come, they were farmers, you know, little did I know that I really have a history of that because most families don't necessarily, I don't know, my family didn't really talk about that too much. We were just mm. dealing with the day to day, but to be Where, honest, where'd you grow I, up just out of curiosity and, you know, I was a military brat, so we grew up okay. everywhere and I can't, okay. I didn't really have a place to call home until I moved to San Diego in 83 and I've been here ever since, but, okay. um, in 2008, after being a financial planner for more than 20 years, I was <laughs> kind of, I started dating a new guy and we both were praying to live in our purpose. We were like, what, you know, what were we really put here to do? You know, mm-hmm. whatever that is, that'll be our form of worship. That'll be how we live. You know, what is mm-hmm. it? And little by little, you know, when you ask that question, it's almost like, did I really ask that question now? I'm scared. But my old life started to pass away and I found myself digging in the dirt. And I remember I had a I had a hoodie on, you know, a raincoat over that. And I was it was actually raining in San Diego, which is rare. And mm-hmm. because I was losing so much of my prior life, I was crying while it was raining, but I was digging in the soil at this garden that we had planted together. And I was feeling depleted, but the soil was just wriggling with worms and the nutrients that we had just hoped for. The plant, I mean, we were I was pulling up turnips and I couldn't believe how plentiful and bountiful. And I just felt like this is what I want to do. I can hear when I'm doing this. There's something mm. in this that is compelling me, you know. And so um, I thought, you know, we've got to do this for other people. Because the very first gift that this gentleman had offered me, he said, can I build you a garden? And I thought, hey, well, that's this? a that great. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's the best pickup line ever. <laughs> hey, can I build you a garden? <laughs> well, you know, 350 home garden installations later 
he and I. Well, tell us about that. Tell wow. us about that. Good neighbor yeah. gardens. I want to hear. I want to hear how that how that goes and how you do it and and what it okay. is. Okay. Well, you know, I I remember one day we were on the phone. We were arguing, and I said, you know, I don't think we're supposed to argue. You know, we just harvested this garden, and it was more bountiful than we could ever imagine. We prayed over every seed we put in the ground, and it was just so productive. But the sad thing is, is that we ended up. Well, it's not so sad now, but we composted two thirds of it because we just didn't know who to share it with because we were in a new space. And you get that uh, one giant zucchini that could feed you for the rest of your life and you don't know what to do with it. And so I thought, you know, this would be much sweeter if we were able to share it, you know. Um, and I said, I think I'm hearing something. I think we're I think we're supposed to start something. And I think it's supposed to be that we share this act with others and we, we generate food for each other. You know, people were so atomized at that time. And um, it, I just felt like neighbors really needed to open up and love each other. And this will be a loving thy neighbor, neighbors feeding neighbors thing. And so there was a garden across the street. Um, I could see the raised beds are completely full of weeds and the people hadn't done anything with it. And I thought, I'm going to go knock on the door and see if they'll let us, you know, farm that mm -hmm. land. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm living in a neighborhood here in San Diego, two blocks north of the San Diego Zoo. You know, craftsmen's and Spanish style homes are small yards, but man, there's 12 raised beds right there. And sure enough, they were like, Can, do you really, would you really do this for us? We've been looking for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a front yard garden. So mm -hmm. we didn't have to put out the word. Everyone's like, I want that. You know, I, and when COVID hit, it was like, wow, everyone wanted a garden. Mm -hmm. Everyone mm -hmm. wanted to That's learn amazing. how to grow. Yeah. Every, so we, you know, have installed over 350 gardens in people's yards in the last 10 years. And it's, so I haven't done much social media because I've been in it, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But um, what happens is the the gracious neighbor, the person who allows us to grow food in their yard, it's their garden. They get to eat their fill. But if and when there's ever too much, because we're maintaining it weekly, we basically hire and train people how to do it. We call those people the urban farmhands. Um, and we they, they will ask the homeowner, hey, there's a lot of jalapenos there. I, I don't know if you can eat all that. Would you like to share it? Mm -hmm. So it's really about the ask. And they, please share it, take as much as you'd like. So every other Wednesday, we aggregate all the harvest from all of the surplus from all these yards. And we bring it to our urban barn, which is on the alley. And we make mm -hmm. harvest boxes that other people subscribe to. So they get a box that's got 10 items in it from all the aggregated gardens and local regenerative farmers. Mm. So that way we're connecting these local regenerative farmers with the homeowners, the people that are patronizing them you know, wherever at the farmer's markets or whatever, we're driving their business, hopefully. And so really what this is, is this is a community development project, right? Mm -hmm. Because those people that get that harvest box, a portion of the proceeds goes to support school garden education. So we've, we've taught in 16 schools. I wrote my own curriculum, eight lessons that we administer in schools, elementary schools. And, you know, that's really regeneration to me when mm -hmm. we can inspire the children to develop that relationship with the earth in such a way that they're willing to care for it and to understand that when they do that, they're caring for themselves, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and is a uh, so is there a, is there the possibility, I would think, that something, you know, this isn't San Diego, but something this this kind of plan or this kind of structure could could be started all over the country, all over the world? Oh, yeah, that's my goal. I mean, right now, you know, I'm trying to flush out what I consider this regional co-op here in mm -hmm. San Diego, even though we've installed over 350 gardens and we've installed gardens wow. in schools and we were had the opportunity to teach children, we want to be able to to demonstrate to schools and to policymakers that this is critical. Every mm -hmm. child should have the opportunity to learn outside. And if we are given the opportunity to demonstrate that here in California, then we can replicate this in other areas, you know, package sure. it because the program works because it's regional. It's neighbors feeding neighbors. Right. The harvest right. boxes are picked up at the local yoga studio or mm -hmm. the local, you know, um, wherever you know, we've got a bagel shop. You know, and that way people walk in, they buy bagels or they walk in, they pick up a yoga class. You know, again, it's a way to feed one another, not just with food, but other ways. I can't tell you the well, stories. Well, but, the, plus, but the big word is, is connection. Connection. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's 
and and now because these things are so prevalent what you're doing mia is you're you've created a form of connection that is untouchable it's like that is more powerful than pretty much anything you know and estates or municipal governments we can spend billions and billions of dollars a year but if people don't have a way to connect you know um, or kids don't have things to do after school then we lose them we lose that connection this podcast is sponsored by ramp are you the decision maker in your company consider this for the first time in decades there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting SixDegrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text BACON to 707070 or visit sixdegrees.org to learn more. You know, I want to ask you... Ian, about, uh, and, and please, Mia, feel free to, um, you, you've had your fingers in the dirt quite a bit. So my question is, you know, I'm watching the film, uh, Common Ground, uh, and, and it is at times really overwhelming in terms of the, the problems that exist in our food chains with uh, with the chemicals, with the lobbying, you know, there's a lot of big, big issues there that are existential to us. Um, and and then you, I, I kind of think to myself, well, I have a 
uh, you know, a small farm. And I'm, I, I started kind of going, you know, online and seeing how to approach this just on a personal basis. And I'm wondering if either one of you have any uh, direct sources, uh, resources in terms of how people can either get involved with a community garden or if they do have farms, farmers or small farmers or gentlemen farmers or whatever it happens to be, you know, actually start to start to do this to, to try to embrace this regenerative idea. If you're in San Diego, you're going straight to Mia. <laughs> um, but if you're not, you know, one of the things, so Mia, one of the, also the things that just blew our minds. So we released, we released Kiss the Ground. <clears throat> we cut a 45 minute educational version that we released to 35 million students globally for free. Mm -hmm. That changed the way kids saw the world. But Kiss the Ground the website, because it's also a nonprofit, the, the common ground is not tied directly to the 501c3 as Kiss the Ground was, but you can go on our Kiss the Ground website and you can find people, well, first of all, toolkits, but then find people in areas where you are that all of a sudden directly connect you, um, not with just tips, but with actual toolkits and people. Fantastic. Um, and I, and I think that is the big thing because, you know, and I know because and I know people ask me this all the time too, but people literally look at me and 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 a lot of journalists and and they're they're they cut through the BS because they don't want to they don't everyone's sick of like greenwashing. Say, well, what is this regenerative agriculture and why should I care? One of the biggest things is not just bring people together, no matter what side of the aisle you sit on. Regeneration, regenerative agriculture, not only will stop climate change in its tracks, the greatest existential threat to humankind is climate disruption, right? Because it's going to disrupt our food systems. It's going to cause a whole lot of issues that we're staring down the barrel of. But not only that, regenerative agriculture produces higher yields, which produce higher, bigger um, profits. When used, because so money talks, BS walks, right? Regenerative agriculture produces more money. So you can't argue with that, right? So when people say, why regeneration? What is it? It's just the use of planned grazing methods and using living, growing plants, literally agriculture at scale to sequester enormous amounts of carbon dioxide, store it safely back in the ground belongs. Now, when you do that, you feed all the vital microorganisms in the soil, healthier soil, healthier plant, healthier planet, but then higher yields, more money for farmers, higher tax bases, School districts get better in rural areas. Water districts get better. You know what I mean? It's like we're doing it together. And that's the mm. beauty of regeneration, you know? Yeah. I wrote a poem. I mean, yes, you know, we, we tend to relate to one another sometimes in terms of the dollars, the potential dollars. But I think on a spiritual level, you know, um, we're really disoriented as it relates to the earth and how we're, we are the earth. And I want to make sure that the children don't get missed because they are the next generation. They're the ones that are going to inherit whatever yeah, it is you. that we're doing. And so, you know, I wrote a poem <laughs> about it um, that kind of guides me. And it's essentially, I don't know if I have time to read the poems very short, but, you know, making sure that if we do amass these dollars, that we put it back into educating the, the, the youth, mm -hmm. you know, so that they can carry this torch forward you know, that would be the most responsible and sustainable thing we can do. I think that's great. Yeah. I all totally of this is great. Yeah. This I mean, is all for them. It is. Because, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, yeah. and we, we, you know, we haven't done so well, so, uh, let's, let's hope that they can, uh, they can do a little, do a little better. Yeah. They're great ambassadors, you know, I mean, they yeah. believe, you know, they still have the ability to imagine and believe that, that seed that looks nothing like what it's destined to become can actually become that thing that we're telling them, you know, Yep. And so they're great ambassadors. And if they'll eat it, they can, their, their parent will eat it. But if you try to offer it to the parent, they might just say, oh, I'm good. Mm -hmm. But hey, mom, I grew it. Okay, I'll try it. You know? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, listen, I, I, I want, I, I thank you guys so much Amazing. for being here. Common Ground Film, you really need to see. And Kiss the Ground, I'm going to watch. And what are, and, and also, 
uh, where are the websites that that uh, we can uh, find out about the work that you're doing, me, me, and and uh, and as well as the the films, Ian? Where, where this is the call to action. How can people get involved, and how can people check out the good work? Tell them, Mia. Okay, well, my website is goodneighborgardens.com, and that's plural gardens, uh, singular singular neighbor, goodneighborgardens.com. Uh, we've got a couple calls to action right now. We're trying to raise money to put more gardens in schools so that we can, you know, create this opportunity for kids to learn outside. So okay. we have a donate button on the bottom of our front, our homepage of our website. We're trying to raise a substantial amount of money. I'd uh, like to see this, these gardens be established in different states, not just here in California, because mm -hmm. the, the, the school is really the hub of the flower of the home gardens, which are the petals that will drive this big garden of us all being interconnected in this country. Um, we also, you know, we're always looking to be familiar with who is our local farmer, who is our, who wants to grow food in this town, who wants to get food in this town. So we have a button for each of those things on our website um, because our goal is to connect all of these people together, people who build good compost. We want them to be a part of our co-op, you know, anyone who wants to grow food in their yard and it just continues to ripple outward. So Beautiful. It's all there on our website. I love that. Well, maybe uh, as a way to uh, close this episode out, you could read your poem. Okay. You've got to read that poem. All right, here we go. <laughs> We're following the path of little feet. That's what it's called. It says, most adults are feeling it now. Although the promise of spring is here, I wrote this a while ago, and the weight of the unpredictable virus seems profound in our environment, thankfully, the children keep it light and are eager to plant new seeds in fresh soil. Let's be like them. Every time I tend to one of the sharecrop gardens, I heed the call for childlike submission. My questions are elementary. Did I water the kale enough at the root level? Will, my, will the aphids take over my broccoli or will my nasturtium trap crop and prayers prove effective? If I prune this tomato, will it yield good fruit and where exactly should I cut it to direct its energy? Plainly put, I'm seeking spiritual guidance, and these are my humble conversations with God. It's grounding. It's where I express my curiosity, intelligence, hope, creativity, and patience. It's divine relationship. No one, not Sandra Bowes or even George Washington Carver, ever uncovered all the sensitive secrets of Mother Nature. But they were compelled. And they proved that as your birth mother, she just wants your love. So come spend time with her. She will nurture your inner child and reward you dearly, if not with food, then at least with practical wisdom for trying. How much time, that's your choice. And how, how will you spend it? That's up to you as well. Just follow the path of little feet and get in there. That's amazing. Thank you, Mia thank you for sharing us with that. <laughs> Ian Summerhalder, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank uh, you. It's been Thanks a for very us. fascinating and insightful uh, conversation and i appreciate the great work that you guys are doing so thanks for thanks for doing this hey everybody thanks for listening to another episode of six degrees with kevin bacon and if you want to learn more about the common ground film or good neighbor gardens head to commongroundfilm.com and goodneighborgardens.com you can find all the links in our show notes and if you like what you hear here, make sure you subscribe to the show and tune into the rest of our episodes. You can find Six Degrees with Kevin Bacon on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.